All right, everybody, welcome back. It's episode four of volume two of The Sandcrawler. Daniel and Jeff here. Excited to talk about a couple different topics today. We're going to talk about Mando, chapter 21, the most recent episode. We're going to do a quick recap on that, uh, get our, give our thoughts and our perspectives. Been a divisive year for Mando. If you listened to the last episode, Daniel and I went back and forth. I won the argument, which was interesting. Uh, he conceded that I was actually... Ah, um, but we will go into this episode, uh, talk about it, give our perspective and thoughts. Yeah, overall, Daniel, I just give the viewers a tease and, or listeners a tease. I thought it was good. Um, and then, as per usual, we're going to jump into some expanded universe lore, legends, essential guide. Daniel's much more creative than I am as far as concocting an, a funny name. But we're going to talk about an individual. Daniel, I'm going to try to say it. I should know this. I. I know the name by reading it so much, but um, an individual by the name of Ulick Keldroma, kind of a huge deal in the expanded universe. And if you were a kid in the 80s or 90s, you knew this character. And it actually ties historically pretty well to the context of what's going on in The Mandalorian this season. So we'll jump into that. And then Daniel will talk about the giveaway still rolling. But anything else, Daniel, I'm going to turn it over to you to, to kind of kick us off on, on Mando chapter 21, because I'm I'm curious, just generally speaking, after the last episode, what did you think of this one? What, what right. was your general takeaway? Before we jump into Mando, um, I do, from my understanding, you pronounced Eula Keldroma correctly. Um, I've seen it mainly hyphenated, although it does exist as non-hyphenated. Uh, but it, it, the, the thing with that is, is real quickly, is that there are different readers for audiobooks, whatever, that might pronounce it differently than you might see the phonetic spellings in the Essential Guides. The, the new Essential Guide to Characters does have phonetic spellings, which absolutely differ from what certain audio readers do. So it's not uncommon to maybe have, get a name wrong or, or mispronounce, but from from everything that I understand, you like Keldrama. Yep. Um, so back on to Mando. Um, so okay okay i like uh, this picture i like this picture i should yeah 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 yeah. it's a little bit blurry i apologize i didn't realize that blowing it up uh for our for our youtube viewers which i'm gonna try to get the youtube up pretty quickly um for our podcast listeners you're not gonna miss a whole lot in this particular episode without the ability to see pictures i'm gonna show you know a couple stills from the show and there's gonna be a couple of cool shots of our subject uh for the what i'll call the essential flight series because uh it combines items that you might see from the essential guide series and also things that you might see from the fantasy flight series and rpg game specifically and so essential flight until someone tells me that's stupid and we'll definitely change the name but we'll go with that for now so mando episode i i felt like this was one of those episodes that you it's a bridge episode that you can handle. Um, it was decent. It was on paper, a pretty well done episode. Uh, but something in the execution to me felt just a little bit hollow. Agreed. I think that uh, I, I, I let me, there was a lot of cool moments here and, and we're going to get to a lot of cool things that happened, et cetera, et cetera. But as an episode on the whole, I'd probably say it was like 
and again, I don't want to, this is not going to become a review show. There's only a couple episodes of Mando left. Bad Batch, which we're not even going to discuss in this episode, just wrapped. So it had, so not every week is going to be um, review. So just, just get that out of the way. But for, for this episode, I don't know, seven, seven, eight, somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, it says right. I, I would give it a seven or eight. That's fair. There were a lot of good highs, I thought. Um, you know, we talked about it last episode. The the types of Easter eggs thrown in on this one were the ones that I particularly like. Like I thought it was I thought they were good. They were payoffs. Um, and so that I always when I see something like that that I think is like a very good Easter egg, and you know which one I'm talking about, maybe I'll just come out and say it. Like I feel like I will maximize and stretch that because I was so excited. And the main one for me personally was the appearance of um, the hero from the show, Star Wars Rebels, Zeverelios. So we got to see him in the live action. That was really cool. Um, it was fun to see that species for the first time, like manifest yep. from everything from concept art in the Macquarie days now into Rebels. And then we get to see him. He looked really cool. Um, and so, I, again, like it's those types of things that I, you know, I, I get a kick out of. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. You have it right there. Of course, man. I got uh, for our YouTubers. I put up a shot of our our good guy Zeb and, next and, and to yeah. next to awesome uh, IG IG and collector. Um, uh, his name his his handle is Angry Appa because he he loves Appa from Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, so cool shot, Zeb. But back to you. Two things about Zeb. Uh, one, he's obviously too cool to wear like. The normal orange flight suit so i love that they gave him like the awesome blue rebel flight suit the other thing i just noticed this but and i'm not making a stretch i have to imagine though filoni is a fan of this series but does zeb just generally in character design not kind of remind you of jet from cowboy bebop like doesn't he yeah absolutely okay no that's a that's a real good pull that's a real good pull from from just kind of like his stature, his nature. The beard doesn't doesn't hurt. Yeah. The fact that he's bald on top. This is definitely resonating, resonating with some Cowboy Bebop for me. Dig it. Well, I, definitely. Yeah, I, I'll kick it back to you. I, I just I mean, all I would say is, yeah, I, I think your assessment's right. I'd give it the same review. Um, my my parting and it's not meant to be a shot is just generally, you know, we we talk. I think a pretty good length about whether we're talking about the volume or we're talking about what we're observing sort of in the background happening. I continue to be amazed by, especially in this episode, what appears to be a total lack of extras. Um, There were like 12 (laughs) people in this town and like, I don't know. It just seems really odd. There should be no shortage of extras. I mean, gosh, you could call the 501st and just be like, can I borrow seriously like a thousand of you just to play citizens but i think i would i would i would pay money to be to do that i know that some people would get paid or whatever and there's probably there's definitely laws against you know people paying uh, whatever i would i would i would pay money to be in there oh definitely but yeah i don't know i don't know if that like not to like deviate it into that territory but i will say that was to me the most shocking thing like so grief Karga evacuates all of like 19 people from the town and then like they're (laughs) greeted like they're like you're now you are part of Navarro and like we're ceding all this land to you I'm like hold on there's like nine Mandalorians and then like they are outnumbering 
yeah. the rest of the people. I don't know, but maybe I'm maybe I'm overthinking it. It just it seemed very sh- like striking to me. It what was odd to me is that they have used the volume in situations that I did not think called for it. Maybe to save a few dollars. So I, again, I don't know the behind the scenes stuff, whatever. But to me, this was a good opportunity for them to use the volume to add more people in the background. I actually have in my notes. I wrote se- I wrote several pages of notes for Ulick Keldroma for our essential flight se- uh, section. For this on Mando, I just wrote a couple of quick notes, and one of them was Navarro. Apparent population, 15. Um, <laughs> there have to be – I get it. He, the, pirate, uh, the, the Pirate King laid waste to the city. There's probably a number of people that died. There's probably people that are trapped that didn't get out. So not everyone that he took out. Uh, with him or not that everyone that he led away it doesn't represent the full population of the city or that area at the same time if that's the case it kind of undermines his, the fact that he led the, his people away no he, he got away with his small crew like that's it right so i definitely had that written down um so that was kind of odd um i felt like to start it all off, I love the idea. First of all, uh, it's Gorian Shard or Gorian Shand. It's Shard. Um, the when he showed up on the hologram, it it obviously was evocative of the Emperor sh- showing up before Vader. That was kind of cool. It was a nice little nod. But generally speaking, I still kind of thought that the pirates were kind of corny, cheesy, not intimidating which doesn't set the right tone for other parts of this show and other parts of Star Wars generally that we've seen, including even parts of Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and certainly Andor, tonally, uh, when it comes to like violence and what it, what it means to be a, a true villain that's actually laying waste to a city. Uh, I kind of felt like these were like the people at Disney World showed up that were in their costumes that were kind of like, hey, hey, I'm a big jerk and I'm causing problems. And oh, by the way, I'll take a picture with your kids. Yeah. And <laughs> they, they like lean so... over your kids dinner, dinner table while he's like eating a grilled cheese. And they're like, that's my grilled <laughs> cheese. You're like, come on, man. Like, no, because to your point, like, and I know I don't mean to like cut you off, but like when, when you're just, just describing that, like all I thought of were like the Denzians and Jabba's palace and how every one of those guys even if they were background characters even if their lore dictated just how like gruesome and like devious they were everybody like made me uncomfortable on screen in return of the jedi where you kind of look around you're like oh man like this looks like a nasty crew and like there's there's palpable danger right like for luke and leia them and you're like okay and yeah i can't remember the name of that nikto if they even identified him he's like sort of the the peach colored nikto he's this survivor that flies off I felt right. like that was so. Um, I don't know. Your your you, your description is very apt. Like I, I felt like they were a bit cheesy, down to the as much as I loved him, the little ugnot that looked like Schmee for whatever from Peter <laughs> Pan, Mr. Schmee, Mr. Schmee. Yeah, like I. But I agree. Like when you lean too heavily into the sort of like funny, goofy, overly comical angle then it what it tells me subconsciously as a viewer is like that no one's really in danger right like no they're not gonna like 
no one's gonna really get hurt and that it just is what it is but like yeah. that's kind of the vibe i got right we knew that Bo and din were gonna like take care of these guys in a matter of like five business minutes so yeah i don't know i'm with right you. and that that brings up the only other uh thing i went well there's a couple more <laughs> so I should, i'll take that back but that brings up the only other part of the navarro plot i guess it seemed weird to me, uh, and, and this is a case of, I can't call it anything other than somewhat sloppy writing, is that <clears throat> both in air combat or ship-to-ship combat and also in the street combat where the Mandalorians are taking back the city, everybody, ships included, are exactly as powerful as the story requires it to be. And that's just a shame because the Mandalorians are running through the streets as if they don't have jetpacks. One of from the previous episode, one of the worst things that can happen to a Mandalorian is becoming stranded because your jetpack runs out of fuel. And here they've dropped in with their jetpacks. They have not run out of fuel. And yet when the high ground would be incredibly advantageous because someone's taking pot shots with them from a stationary cannon, uh, like, guys. Jetpacks, fly, get get above. Not only right. not only are you going to be out of like the literal range of that cannon if it can't if it because it can't angle upward enough, but also you have a so much better view of the city and the streets and everything from from the air. We saw when um, in the first season of Mando, we saw how Death Watch flew in from above, blew things up, flew back out, came in, picked things up was aerial assault from above we saw it in episode three with these very mandalorians so it seemed it seemed again the reason that they did that is because the writing required them to be pinned down for a time it required that admittedly cool scene from 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 emily swallow the the armorer mandalorian i like i get that it dictated all that that's how it came about but it just you have to earn that stuff like you can't write it in just for the sake of writing it in and depower or nerf or conversely overpower an OP a la the in one fighter and Bo-Katan ship like they have no business taking out a, a complete Corsair ship that has a complement of of snub fighters. No, right. Like I get that they're very good, but. Not to mention, like, it, it, it to your point, it vacillates for me. And this isn't a critique. It, well, it is a critique, but it's not necessarily a negative. Like, I'm I'm willing to go along with it. I think the part that confuses me is that the prior episode, or maybe, I'm sorry, it was this episode. We spend this episode having this, like, heavy deliberation about, like, whether or not they're going to go put it all on the line to, like, liberate Navarro, right? And then, you know, Prey Vizsla or... Uh, heavy man, I forgot his name. Like uh, the, the the fact that like they kind of come around on it, it to me intimates that like okay, so there's gonna be like a big battle that ensues. Like and it, it, it really to your point, like the strategy here was well, we're just gonna like fly in and like drop everybody off and we'll be fine. Then we'll just like distract the the aerial fighters. And so to me, it's exactly what you described, but it's very confusing because I'm expecting a challenge, but then I see a bunch of these like goofy sort of like showbiz pizza pirates and then i'm like well okay so are they really gonna go and then you know they're they're picking off mandalorians here or there and i think again it's not necessarily like that it's a bad thing because overall i i did enjoy the execution of some of the action sequences um 
but it goes back to maybe what I was critiquing last episode is that when we looked at Death Watch in the flashback sequences of the Mandalorian or even in Clone Wars, you have like a very Spartan militarized disciplined unit that's acting as yep. like this very like scalpel surgical strike force. And you got a little bit of that here, but then to your point, they're getting like blown off of um, <laughs> like scaffolding from my, and like being wide in the open. And again, I'm not trying to like overdo it, but I think you're right. Like, I think there's something there as far as there has to be discipline in the writing that when you build to these sequences that you're, you're not just like shifting the tenor of, I don't want to say power levels, but you know what I mean? Like capabilities. Yeah. The, yeah. You're, you're right. Like vacillating between like nerfing and overpowering somebody to me just gets, it's not that it's like a critique. It's that it just confuses me as a viewer because I really don't have a strong sense of like, well, how capable is like Din Djarin and, you know, his crew really, I mean, if I see them struggle to put up a fight against 19 pirates that are kind of goofy, then I have to presume no, no, uh, like Imperial remnant force or, um, like, I don't know, the faction that they may encounter criminal organization, black sun type group, yeah. would ever like lose any ground to these guys you know what i mean yeah or ever need to uh conscript their services conversely like aren't right. the aren't isn't isn't the alternative to being in this con one of the major alternatives to being in the convent is being like a, a bounty hunter essentially um more or less maybe assassins but mostly Basically. bounty hunters yeah so i mean it just it didn't it didn't fit and they could have done it differently where you still have them become amazing and awesome uh and and maintain that mystique because these i'm just these these were not mandalorians that weapons are their religion and this these were not the mandalorians where they had been training since birth literally to fight and do exactly what they were supposed to do it should have been elite it shouldn't have it should have been so one-sided that this the amazing sights shouldn't have been emily swallow doing doing her scene although she could have kept it they could have made it differently they could have set up a different scenario where she does for whatever reason maybe she has to take down her shield so she goes into the control room of the shield where uh, is and and then takes people out that way and then lowers a shield for all the mandos to get into something whatever still give her the moment still give um my man tate fletcher who wears the suit for uh prey Vizsla, the heavy heavy mando uh still you can give him his moment where he brings out the gatling gun i get all that you can all you can do all that without having to nerf them and make them look bad um so you know it was you? what it was can I ask you, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this objectively, like, like I'm not this, I'm not presupposing any kind of like argument or position here. Um, I'm really confused about something and I tried to find the answer, but then I stopped. Um, is Navarro a reference to like a city state on the planet? Is it the only city state on the planet or is Navarro the entirety of the planet and we're having grief cargo like oversees it? Because I'm very confused when they talk about like taking over the entirety of the planet like yeah. well why would you start there like i it was I, to your point it's like it's a plot device i know why they're why they're doing yeah, it I mean, yeah, that's yeah. You get flash, but like were you can did that confuse you at all or am i just because mm. like my understanding when it comes to star wars planets 
you have any number of range of populous and habitable spots. So somewhere like Coruscant is literally completely covered with cityscape. It's from from head to toe, uh, every inch of it except for the tip of Mount Umade. Then you have these outer rim backwater planets. They're probably they're smaller in in literal size uh, as right. as a celestial body, and they might only have because there's like lava pits on this planet if you remember in like earlier episodes and stuff and the mandos also at the same time they did use the sewers of this city as their hideout and so it couldn't be heavily populated so i i actually imagine and i think that how it works is this is basically when you go to the planet you're basically going to this city and that's that's just, that, that that's it like there might yeah. be small outposts or whatever but this is like the this is the center hub, and there's nothing else out there. Lava pits, yeah. uninhabitable space, etc. I assume that was like a satellite or like, you know, the forest moon of Endor, like to your point, it's a smaller yeah. whatever. Yeah, no, I get that. I guess the part I was confused by was then the reference to taking over the planet versus just occupying the city. Because to your point, like, well, either there is uninhabitable land per per the lava pits, per all of like the, the dangerous environment, yeah, yeah. or there or there isn't because they seeded all this land on the outskirts or to these other places to the Mandalorians. And so all I was trying to reconcile in my mind is what is the risk of like losing this planet versus the city? Cause I'm, I'm trying to understand if I'm, I'm really trying to understand if I'm missing something here. Like uh, I feel like it's just one in the same. I feel like it's okay. one in the same. You, okay. there's no reason to have the planet if you don't have the city, cause you're not all the, the resources are in the city the populations in the city, the trades go, the trade goes through the city. I have to imagine that that that's it. Like to control the planet, you must have the city. And for a pirate, the very nature of pirates, they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna, they're not looking to like set up an outpost. They're not, they're not like hardened militaries. They want to come and plunder and loot. So instead of setting out, instead of setting up a base and setting up their military and stuff, uh, and like actually doing a full scale invasion to take over, they're just kind of like, eh, we're pirates. We'll 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 blow it up. I guess I buy it. I felt like that was still just it was confusing. To it me. yeah. And then and then we got one more. We got one more on this that that is kind of like what the heck. Um, yeah. eh? uh, tomatoes, tomatoes. How many? How? I'm gonna have to be an alien creature with multiple appendages to start counting on my fingers how many comedians we're getting in Disney Star Wars. And I don't even know why. So there's a very funny, like one of the funniest scenes to me from Wayne's World 2 is um, there's a sequence where Wayne is like trying to get to the wedding and he stops at a gas station and he asks where Gordon Street is. If you haven't seen it, it's like so funny. And this old guy comes and says, can we just stop for a minute? Like, guys, I know this is like a small part with only a few lines, but can we get a better actor? And so like the set people break the fourth wall, they take him out and they put in Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the funny thing about that is um, like it's it to me, it's like the inverse of this. Like every time I see a comedian, I do this like because <laughs> I know it's going to be lighthearted. I know there's like some like funny abbreviated you know, lighthearted tone to it. You don't like, even when Bill Burr appeared, Bill Burr's lines were comedic in nature, even if he was like a former Imperial, like sharpshooter. And we've said this on so many episodes, but I agree. Like this is very distracting. And like the joke is 
fine the first couple of times, right? Like, it's fine. I'll, whatever. But now I just find it annoying. I'm not going to, like, mince words here. And, like, honestly, it's it's something that's, like, a pet peeve of mine in this show. I find it so tonally distracting that um, for that entire sequence, I'm completely as a viewer confused as to whether I take what he's saying seriously or not yeah. seriously. Am I watching Tim Meadows do a bit as a rebel officer right. or am I watching him play a role that's serious? And I, I'm, I'm, I will absolutely argue until I'm blue in the face with somebody like, I don't care how good of a quote unquote actor you are, or how well you deliver the lines. Like the minute that you put somebody like Dane cook in a saving private Ryan, I don't care. Like I, as the viewer can't, I cannot separate that. And it's a little bit of that here. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too hard, but no, I, I mean, you agree. look, like Adam, Sa- Adam Sandler has done some serious, has had some serious roles that uh, if he himself wasn't nominated, I know that the movies like uh, diamond rough, rough diamond, something, whatever um, he, it, it, he has done some, he's done some good works. And the, the issue is, uh, I'm still going to say, hey, that's Adam Sandler if he ever shows up in Star Wars. And I'm going to assume that that's still going to be a silly bit and antic. And I'm not really here for it. Like you had said, I'm okay the first couple of times. I was definitely, J- Jason Sudeikis was a scout trooper. And he was the one taking pot shots at Grogu before IG-11 came in. And... Daniel Craig famously is in The Force Awakens as a stormtrooper. I'm totally cool learning about that after the fact that, oh, hey, that nameless soldier that whose face I didn't see and played no prominent role in the scene or really even in the episode at all uh, was actually this famous actor. When you give them the small part, you're you're displaying the person. You're not you're not displaying Star Wars anymore. And I'm totally with you that it. It just takes it takes me out of uh, of the scene, out of the universe, and uh, I just I'm not here. Like I said, I'm not here for it, and I hope that they kind of curtail it a little bit. The scene overall didn't make sense to me. Um, the other point I wanted to make on this, uh, unless you had some some thoughts on on Mr. Meadows, who I do. Okay. <laughs> well, let me toss it over just back to you. Then. It's just, it's no, I just, <laughs> no, 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 no. This I deserves, want... this deserves like the, the, I, I want you to take, I want you to take the floor and spend as much time on, on this matter as, as it, as it warrants. Because while you alluded earlier to saying like, oh, we've talked about this before, like in previous episodes, those are still unreleased folks. Um, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we've talked about it a lot, but we haven't published you know, published recordings that have talked about it. So I want you to go off. No, I'm not going to go off. I'm just, it's pertinent to Tim Meadows. And this is just like a parting shot that, again, I think validates our point. I like Tim Meadows a lot. Um, I think he's part of some of the funniest sketches on SNL. I think like the ladies man bit was iconic, but Tim Meadows for perspective, the, the cameo that Tim Meadows makes in the office when he's like talking to Michael at a Chili's, and they're doing like a conversation about negotiating paper. He's playing a more serious role <clears throat> in the office than he's playing in a Star Wars sequence where there's a conversation occurring about like pirates slaughtering innocent people. Yeah. And like yeah. that to me is like where it's not an end to Tim Meadows. Like he got nothing negative to say about the guy. He's amazing. Um, but it's that uh, 
people have to appreciate the fact that like the viewer comes into these with not baggage, but perspective. Like, and that that's to your point. Like, so you flashed up a cameo of someone famous as an actor uh, who was actually like very iconic in the nineties. Like, how do you expect me to react? Do you want me just to like objectively sit there and like solemnly be like, ah, oh, yes, an actor, Tim Meadows, I'm going to sit here and like, let him do his bit. Like, no, nah, man. And, and that's my point is like, it's it, it, you're you're turned around in like a dramatic scenario when suddenly a comedic actor is not even being dramatic like he's being funny and so I, right. that's all i have to say about that but i just that's what like i i walked away from that episode thinking in that scene in particular i'm like he was more serious and actually funnier but more importantly like he was actually serious and like playing a straight man in the office than here where you captured the screen perfectly it's like this character of like well i'm kind of like a middling bureaucrat and like let's weigh the positives he's like dude these people are being yeah, yeah, slaughtered yeah. by pirates and he's like i don't know like <laughs> i don't know that it doesn't I'll, even seem like it doesn't even seem like the right place to go to be honest like i understand that the new republic is still in transition but uh like this does not seem like a military setting because if it is my final point that I'm going to complain on. Aliyah Kane, what's she doing there? Okay, if you can make military requests, like, you can't make military requests in a non-confidential, secure location like this for any number of reasons. Certainly not in front of someone who defected from the Empire from a known warlord moth who did not give up and who is on the loose right like he's like (laughs) i understand they're trying to put this up and i actually i think triple agent is 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 maybe looking right you know maybe she's maybe the whole thing is like oh everyone's like oh yeah she's working for gideon and maybe towards the end of the season she's actually the one that pulls the trigger against gideon because she's working for thrawn um we have some i have some speculation I don't want to get into it in this episode because I want to wait till the season of Mando ends, but I got some long-term Star Wars speculation. But anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I agree. And I, would like say it just, I was just like, how... I understand. They wanted her to... to I, they want her to be informed, and they want her to be able to slightly influence the situation to her liking and, and all of that. You can't... Again, this goes back to my... The, the Mandos and the ships are exactly as powerful or exactly as weak as the story requires. Alia Kane has exactly as much or exactly as little access and freedom as her story requires. And that's lame. Like, I'm sorry. It's, like, okay. It's lame okay. Because George R.R. R. Martin wearing, is not like going to finish. Let me just get this point out. Let me just get this point out. This is important. This is important. This is important. George R.R. R. Martin's never going to finish his, his A Song of Ice and Fire. I've already accepted it. But the reason he cannot finish them is because he looks at he's got writer's block. And the reason he has writer's block is because he looks at his story and he's like, I can't just magic brush write these critical problems that I've created away. I literally cannot figure out what to do. He's famously said that, like, he killed off one character and that character was like a linchpin to keeping the keeping the story going. And so now he's 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 like really screwed. But like I respect the hell out of him because he's like I'm not just gonna give you some crap like I can't I can't myself figure it out. So these Star Wars writers I know they got turned it on. I know they're Disney I know whatever it's a product it's it's a factory I get it. But like come on make it believable. Dude, okay I'm gonna I'm left, gonna off my soapbox. We left Rogue like in Rogue One which occurs like less than a decade or about a decade before this more or less like given whatever like you have like 
the rebellion the rebel high command being like all right like we're gonna like snipe this dude and like it's like hardcore man like i mean you have all these sectors and i can we can you and i can go super deep i mean you got guys in the rebellion like ori marco and i forget his name general dryden that's not right the, the guy who um is sort of like the one that cassian reports to in rogue one um he's like super hardcore he kind of looks like Coden o'brien Dres- like, dresden dresden and i was gonna say i think it's that but my, my point in all this is like you have this incredibly like disciplined and insurgent group and very well organized um and thoughtful right like go back to even the some of the discourse and like dialogue of mon mothma and andor and then like to your point suddenly like you have people who were imperial defectors less than a year before who are wearing uniforms by the way that might as well just say like i was a traitor i was evil and i'm glad that the pilot kind of calls us out he's like no we you, you you didn't like surrender you were you were captured and she's like i was liberated but like to your point like these people are just like walking into like offices and and having discussions about you know what you've described especially when in the very plot and fabric, like there's a reason they're called out like that. And I guess my my disappointment is like, don't make the rebellion seem so incompetent that like the minute that the new republic was yeah. established, that they're just like that they're able to maintain control, but simultaneously be like this tolerant is probably a good way to say it. Because oh my god, like <laughs> if if that's how like these people are behaving then i really hope and i'm just gonna say it like i really hope this isn't an an, an eventual setup to like the force awakens where well yeah like but it's been like this ineptitude is just compounded over 35 years like of course this is what happened because they didn't pay attention to anything it's like well that's like just a really lame way to take the story (laughs) that's all there is yeah 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 yeah. the i understand i understand the difference and actually the x-wing again rebranded rogue squadron books go into this where where part of the strategy of the empire post return of the jedi post even truly fall of coruscant is 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 like is is a very pivotal moment because now the rebel alliance which used to use guerrilla tactics which used to just be a rebel insurgency etc etc is now like a legitimate government and i understand they have transitional problems they 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 have leaks it happens it occurs but it happens in a way more mature way and i'm not saying the writing is necessarily better or good but they definitely aren't like oh just let this old former imperial walk around they capture them they interrogate them they keep them in prison uh, they use them, whatever. They definitely don't. They're not just like letting them run around. And I understand that there's different tones. I get it. It's okay. It's fine. But uh, to your point, I guess, and I'll, I'll, we can end it on this. Um, I don't, it, it, don't make it. Don't, don't simplify it. Don't make this like a dumb, incompetent government that can't handle things. That is going to. That has already failed before it's even really, truly started. Because it just it undercuts a lot in Star Wars for me. Agreed. So, all right, man. Well, uh, should we head to the essential flight? I think so. I would be. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. super down to talk about it. Do you want me to go ahead and just jump in on 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 Ulick? I sure do. Okay. Interesting art you chose. I feel like um, I'm just going to like take a really funny pod shot. It's not even a pod shot, but it's just more of a comment we were talking about last night. I don't know how many images of you you have of him, but my favorite thing about characters in the 90s were if you were assembling a protagonist that had somewhat, um, that wasn't like squeaky clean, like Captain America, 
the recipe was like, okay, for my quasi anti-hero, I'm going to throw in some leather gloves that go to the forearm. I'm going to throw in a super padded series of like leather shoulder puffy armor, maybe going to have just some like random accessories like pouches adorning them. And if all else fails, I'm going to just coat them in all black. And I feel like eggs or <laughs> we look all drama or <laughs> former. And then like, this could be, this could be Dash Rendar. If you put a gun in his hand instead of uh, uh, the pistol or any, <laughs> Not member far off. Of, any, any member of the X force. Um, but no. So, the reason we chose Ela Caldrama, again, I'll, I'll kind of get to why I think it ties nicely to the old canon of, of Mandalore. So there's a, a character, he is almost sort of like um, an analog to Luke Skywalker, but he was a character that lived um, about 4,000 years before um, the Battle of Yavin or the, the final sequence of Star Wars A New Hope and was a Jedi. The cool thing about this period of time was in the Star Wars lore, they were releasing these comic books that went back way far so we've talked about this before but yeah, yeah tales of Je the jedi is one of them it's really cool that they decided to go back so far that there really wouldn't be a lot of impact because they really wanted to give themselves a lot of runway to sort of build and expand the universe the thing that i always thought was really cool is like back then the jedi weren't really centralized so while we saw like a jedi temple and a jedi order probably you know 500 to 800 years before the Battle of Yavin. They talk about it in like the New Republic and other places, and then you see it in the, the prequel trilogy. Back in the day, it was kind of like an open frontier, especially as people and species and groups were using yeah. hyperspace, and it was kind of the Wild West. And so important, way, important point. And, and I love that because the Jedi were basically kind of like what you see in like old kung fu movies. You had a master who was force attuned. They were setting up their own sort of like training ground slash. I don't want to even use their word temple. That's too formal. But they had their own like series of like masters and pupils. And they kind of just, again, uh, made themselves sort of like watchmen of certain systems or certain territories. And in the case of Yulikol Drama, you know, like his story was effectively one that that's how he was raised in the story. And I'm not going to give you like a full character bio, but the way you're introduced to him is like there's a series of like conflicts happening on a particular planet um they go to like save someone from a kidnapping they call this like a the beast wars there's all these different like basically monsters and alien species that they have to to fight but the cool thing about this is like i've got um, historical facts on that for you guys but you keep yeah going, keep going. no no so I, and again this isn't to just be kind of a recap and why we chose him but um the cool thing i thought about him is so over the series of the comics and the stories he's an interesting character to me for a few reasons the first is that He's kind of one of the only ones that he follows a really interesting trajectory from being like a Jedi to a Jedi master to this sort of like hero. He ultimately goes to the dark side. Um, there's a whole series of stories where he basically becomes one of the lords of the Sith along with Exar Khan, who we'll talk about at greater length. He warrants his own episode, but Exocon was another like fallen Jedi. So these guys are like your typical like Jedi Knight heroes. They fall to the dark side, you know, by virtue of their, their travels or what have you. Um, and then ultimately like there's just a massive battle uh, and series of wars that engage or that ensue. Um, one of the women that you look Drama falls in love with is a character by the name of Nomi Sunrider. 
also a really cool character. We could, again, spend plenty of time on her. But like one of the things that she's able to do is ultimately sever his connection to the Force. So like effectively depowers him, which is kind of an interesting turn back uh, in like Star Wars lore and, and canonicity. And then ultimately what happens is you know, he loses powers. He realizes he was on the, the wrong side of things. And so he ultimately helps them take over and take out Exar Kun, who builds a temple on, drumroll please, Yavin 4, which ends up being part of what tied sort of this to the new movies. So this was like kind of where that, that arc ultimately ended. The reason that I, my favorite part about his story, aside from all the cool adventures that he's in, both as a, a hero and a villain, is I am a huge fan of Westerns. Uh, I, I could t- I could do a podcast about Westerns. I mean, I, I love them so much. And I, I love the motif. I love everything about it. I love the structure of how those stories are told. And his story is really cool because not only does this sort of occur in, in a sort of frontier Wild West type setting, but his ultimate demise is like very indicative of what happened to a lot of like really prominent gunfighters back in the day. So at the end, like he finally comes around, they've overthrown Exar Khan, they've taken back Yavin 4. Um, you know, he sort of is reflecting back on like this crazy complicated life. He's done a lot of bad things. Effectively think about like at the end of the movie, if Anakin had been redeemed by Luke, but not died. And so suddenly you have this character who's like standing there kind of walking around and it's, Lo and behold, it's it's not like a great Sith Lord and it's not a Jedi Master. Um, it's like some little spacer guy that sees him off on a distance and was like, oh, that guy was like a war criminal. Like I could make a name for myself by like basically shooting him when he's not looking. And that's how he dies. Um, it's Robert Ford. Yeah, it's, it's, Robert it's, Ford. it's 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 Robert Ford. It's um, I should know this. Uh the guy who assassinated wild bill hookock like the most dangerous gunman of all time like and it's it's that thing of like it's this little weaselly guy who when when the protagonist isn't looking like that's that's like the irony and the tragedy of like the death anyways i i wanted to just that that's like the the fifty-five thousand foot view of him i think that's a really cool period in star wars that's sort of like knights of the old republic before there was like knights of the old republic as a video game and to me, that was like a very interesting time in Star Wars lore because it was ancient, but they had so much latitude and runway to create their own universe. And yeah, like the picture you have, like this absolutely reeks of the 90s, but in like the best way possible. I mean, down to the costumes and yeah. the hair and everything. And so I look at it with a lot of nostalgia, but Exar Khan like ended up being a pretty big deal, even in even in the sense of like, it wasn't really until the Disney takeover. He was, his character had always sort of pervaded the the fabric of Star Wars. Like he was the other kind of big bad slash tragic fallen hero. Um, back. I, he comes back in the Jedi Academy series yeah, trilogy yeah. written by Kevin J. Anderson. I think the, and then in close on this on and then I want you to jump in. Because Star Wars wasn't, probably as fleshed out back in the day as it is now well it, not probably because it wasn't um it was always fun to see sort of like their take on these things regardless of how um you know locked into a a time or a style they are but it's no different to me than star wars and so again pure nostalgia taking over much like when we see sort of the aesthetic 
of Star Wars in the 70s because it was made in the 70s and you you get the vibe and the color and the sepia and like all that. The reason I like Tales of the Jedi was those comic books, those that story, the characters. It also looks like very of the 90s, right? And that will also help bring Dark Horse to the map as a comic book publisher with, you know, really kind of making Star Wars something that was outside Definitely. of just the core characters like this is like a, a cool story to go follow gosh this also looks like this this image you put up could be like have ripped from like the young indiana jones chronicles and then just they gave them like <laughs> this is just this like they literally just photoshop wasn't around so they they had to do whatever editing they could back in the day they took out guns and whips and they added just like the the uh lightsabers and the like the loose flowing thing on you like <laughs> yeah otherwise they're the like in a like pimple. The, otherwise they're yeah, in a no, pimple. It's, it's the little like uh it's the little like loincloth basically that, the like, loincloth that was the word i was looking for yeah thank yeah. you they just like put it on like the characters in mortal kombat they're like everybody gets one of these this is like what we do in the yep. 90s or you know somebody's gonna randomly get a gauntlet on one arm and that's just gonna be like what 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 makes you know this takes place in the future or something? So. <laughs> uneven uneven shoulder armor. Yeah, <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, let's do it. Let's do a little bit of a deep dive um, here on some of this stuff. I did. You told me I think this morning or last night that you wanted. You told me last night, like right before I fell asleep, that you wanted to do Eula Keldrama. So I did. I took the day off, uh, not because of that, but I took the day off, and so I did a little bit of research. Um, to your first point, I'm not going to go crazy deep. We we might do, we might eventually do one-off like short videos or short recordings that go into like hyper detail, but I wrote a lot of notes um, and I'll go through some of them. A lot of them you hit. Uh, his story occurs 4,000 years before original trilogy, everything we know about Star Wars. And it really actually occurs about 4,400 years before because there's a Sith Lord his name's Frieden Nad. We don't have to go into do too much detail, but just understand that he's basically, he was buried. Uh, his sarcophagus exists on the planet that Ulick Keldroma had to go to, and it's still, uh, it was still sustaining power, and it was still powering things there. And so, to your point, there was like the Beast Wars, which occurred. There was a kidnapping that was actually very reminiscent of game of thrones very reminiscent of a song of ice and fire where it was a perceived kidnapping of the royal princess by the rebellious beast warrior beast riding group um faction that led to a war when in reality the princess was eloping with the leader and wanted to bring peace to the uh peace to the planet but it was the royal faction that didn't you know want the peace classic classic trope um Love it. And so through a series of like defending and attacking, Ulick eventually becomes seduced uh, or, or, or confronts Frieda Nad in the spirit. They try to get rid of it. Some stuff goes down. They fight. They win. Um, there's some other people that are looking for some Sith artifacts that come along and they play a later role. Like I'm already looking at my notes. I'm like, oh, my God, this is not right for a podcast. <laughs> but uh, there are there's so which, which speaks to how deep the eu and these legends and especially in this this age of star wars goes um but basically you like Keldroma, the, all the jedi have a big meeting to figure out what they're going to do about freedom nad's return and him overtaking some other replacement people once the first enemy is defeated and so 
they're they're talking and then they get attacked and you let Keldrama's master dies and he's like oh no how are we going to defeat this new this new villainous group called the Krath and so Yulia Keldroma's plan, not uh, not dissimilar to Luke Skywalker, to your earlier point, is that he can pretend to go to the dark side and he can join this group undercover and then kind of defeat it from within. In reality, um, he's not really trusted and he actually gets Sith poison that when he gets angry, he goes to the dark side. It's a little bit cheesy. It sounds cool in like historical context, but when you look at the comics, it's a it's a, it's a little cheesy. But it works well. It works well. So ends up, uh, he doesn't want to kill Nomi Sunrider, the uh, who who tries to rescue him, and she gets captured because um, he doesn't want to give up the fact that he's undercover. And so he plans. He's like, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll kill her. And then uh, he he plots her to get free. Um, some of the leaders of that group figure it out. They confront him. Yula Keldroma kills them. He falls to the dark side in reality. Um, and then he's eventually going to confront Exar Kun, right? This guy that were that who has discovered and stumbled upon the dark side through his own story that we don't need to get into here, although that is very much intertwined. Um, and through that, they actually end up joining forces while they're fighting, as you can see in the picture for our YouTube uh, listeners or watchers. Uh, while they're fighting, an ancient Sith spirit is like, guys, don't fight, team up. You guys will be way more powerful. And so then that's actually what happens. They combine forces, they wreak havoc. There's a lot more that goes into it. So basically the arc of this character is there's there's the three there's three acts. There is the the rise of his prominence from going from student to powerful uh, uh, Jedi knight to event and then his downfall of succumbing to the dark side after the loss of his master and another series of events that just systematically broke him and then there's the loss of his power to your point nomi sunrider comes in later and and removes his power and then his redemption arc where when he becomes powerless he actually kind of very reminiscent of last of us hbo style video game style whichever takes on nami sunrider's daughter to kind of train her in the force even though he himself has no power no connection to the force anymore so she kind of seeks him out and then them trying to figure out like a group of people trying to figure out where they went. They think that she ran away or that she's in trouble um, is how is, is, is what leads to his ultimate demise. But he was very much like Logan taking the small, like lone wolf and cub, any, any number of maybe that's not the best example, but any number of themes where like the grizzled veteran who's done bad things in their life takes on a uh, new meaning by taking on the the younger child and that story is sadly cut off early because like you said mr robert ford his name is actually like agadoggy agadoggin something weird like that i'm not gonna look it up um it's ridiculous uh comes in and comes in and shoots him during the reconciliation last thing i'll say and i'll throw it out to you uh they got figs <laughs> they yeah, got figs yeah. so you can see on on for our again our youtube viewers uh on on your left with the double blue lightsabers you can see xr kun and on the right is ulic heldroma and uh these are actually pretty cool looking they came in a two-pack uh comic two-pack that it, it came with maybe not tales of the jedi comic itself but although maybe but it definitely came with a comic uh and those are actually awesome packs i think they're by and large, not every single one of them, but most of them that are in that series are quite expensive and valuable. Yeah. So um, that's the deep dive. We can go deeper. If you've got questions, 
I know that uh, Yulin Keldroma came from Alderaan. I know his master was Arkajeth. Mm. <laughs> his brother confronted oh, I, him. And one of, one, of, he, one of the tipping points for Yulin Keldroma was facing and, and killing his brother in single combat. So that's no good. We can deep dive. He appears in the Clone Wars video game as a hollow to Anakin as well. Um, yeah. Uh, which and is prominently featured. So you had mentioned Kotar, and I'm sorry, I'll, I really will give it back to you. You had mentioned Kotar. Uh, the history of these people, you'll like encounter in whatever you know recordings or the RPGs version of giving you a backstory without having to do cutscenes where you just like read the books and stuff. Some people do it, some people don't. But like uh, within the within the contextual history of Kotar, they allude to Freedon Nad a lot, and they talk about Exar Kun and Yulik Heldroma a little bit. Uh, Freedom Nat is 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 a another pivotal major character, but for another day maybe. I like go back to the image of uh, from the original Essential Guide, the like, oh, yeah. black and white. That oh, was yeah. another thing. Everybody in the '90s had that haircut. It's like he it looks yes. like the Rocketeer. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I um. There there isn't much to say. I mean, I I think we've we've covered it pretty well on him. You know, I would encourage our listeners or if you're watching on YouTube go check out the tales of the Jedi stuff. It's, it's worth the, uh, it's worth the dive and it's certainly worth, you know, the, the minimal time investment to go read up on some of this. If for no other reason, then it gives you a good flavor of like what star Wars used to be in my mind. Um, and again, just like everything is sort of rooted in a particular period of time. I think this is a very good encapsulation of like star Wars as it was kind of emerging in the nineties to, become a property again so shortly after the comic book or sorry, sorry, sorry excuse me shortly after the Thrawn trilogy um heir to the empire and all that goodness had kind of emerged this was the first series of books this was also kind of like the first jump from dark horse into um you know like comic books telling a new story and again it's very nostalgic for a lot of this but um it, it i would still say at the end of the day the entire fabric of it all was it was still well executed so yeah yeah and what i can say is beyond i definitely concur check out the comics they are vibrant in color in only the way that 90s can they only they have designs in the way that only 90s can but if you are really looking for and i promise i mean this we have to pump this and promo this because that's it's it's kind of the unofficial sponsor of this session of of this segment uh the essential chronology the old essential chronology, the original one from volume one, uh, has Luke and Yoda, Darth Maul, Mon Mothma, Emperor Palpatine on the front. Um, it has like three to four very densely written pages on this time frame. I pulled a lot of the nerdy stuff from that. When you read the comics and you read the execution of something, you can be like, ah, maybe that one's not the best drawn, or maybe the dialogue in this comic is cheesy because the the writing wasn't you know, the focal point in the 90s. It was more of the arc itself. But when you read a summary of all of that as kind of a notation of history, it all reads very interestingly. One of the things I didn't get into is uh, Freedom Nad had a, long after his death, 400 years after his death, he had a cult group following because, again, his power was still emanating from his tomb. And when they were trying to get rid of his sarcophagus, like the cult had an uprising and tried to steal and did steal the sarcophagus and take it to their own place, which was the same place that they were trying to exile it to. So kind of worthless, but at any rate, like 
in practice and in the comics, that probably didn't that probably wasn't executed the best. The boarding, the storyboarding might not have been incredible for it, whatever. But when you read it as a couple of paragraphs, as a note in history, and you're like, oh yeah, there was like a cult uprising and they took this and they did that because of their religious sect and blah, blah, blah. It reads actually very interestingly. So that's my pump. It's This is the essential flight segment. So had to get out the essential chronology as an excellent reference in addition to all of the other books and volumes and, uh, and part of that series. Love it. Well, you want to take us out with some uh, information about the giveaway? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so, again, I have way too many sand crawlers, so we're still doing it. The giveaway code for our listeners is Sunrider. Remember, this is a very easy giveaway. Guys, this is so easy. It's so easy that there's not an additional step besides just really just giving me your information to, uh, to, to where I ship it to. I'll do it anyways. You don't even have to give me the code word. I'll, uh, you don't have to give me the code word. You send you send a DM to the Sandcrawler Podcast, all one word on Instagram at the Sandcrawler Podcast. You send me your address. Just say give it to me. Uh, I will I will absolutely send you a Sandcrawler micro machine. I'm happy to do it. If you want to give me the the code word, all the better. Unnecessary at this point. I'm feeling very generous. We will do more episodes. This is not going to be... I I think that this is going to be a weekly show. I want you guys to stick with us. Uh, Here's my promise to you. You will get no less than six to eight months out of this. I promise you, you will get... That's a very guaranteed minimum. Jeff and I have recorded so many podcasts before we started publishing this that we have a backlog of awesome episodes where we dive deep maybe into the New Republic or the Old Republic or we dive deep into different characters we haven't discussed so far in our published episodes. I consider that to be volume one. We will release them if for whatever reason we don't have time to record. So rest assured, even if Jeff and I are like, "Ah, we're not feeling it this week, even if life gets in the way, we have a backlog of episodes to publish. So I can, my promise to you is that in addition to being able to send you a sand crawler, I will make sure that we publish weekly for the next six months. And with that, Jeff, yeah, it's going to happen. We have, we literally have 22 episodes. That's, that's the six months. We don't have to record another episode. We could stop recording with this episode and still release for six months. What if so, I just, what if, what if I just EM you Sunrider like 25 times? Do you have to give me all 25 of the sand crawlers? So if you've already won a sand crawler, I don't want to give you another one. But I feel so bad because I sent you that care package and I can't believe that I did <laughs> not put a sand crawler in. I was like, oh my God, like, how did I not send <laughs> co host no, Jeff? A sand crawler. Let me do you one better. I'm, and I'm going to, this is, this is official, but unofficial, but we are on all plat. We're trying to get on all the rest of the platforms, but we check our YouTube. If you leave a nice yeah, yeah. comment on the YouTube, I'll sweeten the pot. I'll throw something else pretty cool in there. Daniel and I will talk. It'll be worth it. You get a sand crawler and you'll get something else. And that's how we're buying your love and affection and your viewership. Yeah. Listen, listen, we understand what this is. This is like a very like we don't even have to like wink wink nudge nudge. We're, we'll buy your listenership. Don't care. We'll buy it. We'll buy it. We love Star Wars. We're not in this to especially after I saw how little YouTube videos actually make on a per viewer basis. It's it's astronomically low. Like you have to have millions and millions of viewers to even sustain 
like an income. So we're not doing it for notoriety. Uh, we might eventually want to become extras in Star Wars in some capacity, uh, which would be our the, the, the most sinister ulterior motive we have here. But we just really want to talk about Star Wars. We want to share that love with all of you. And if like if we have to convince you how much we love it by sending you stuff for free, we'll do it. A YouTube comment. A YouTube comment. That is easy. YouTube comment. Da, 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 da. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll get it figured out. We'll get it figured out. I promise. I promise. So on that note, again, the Sandcrawler podcast on Instagram, we will get on Apple music. The only thing in our way is, um, a low resolution logo at this point. I got everything else figured out, but it was like, your image is so bad. We've rejected it as Apple. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we're going to have to do another one. And then uh, we'll be on Spotify and then we'll be on Apple Music. We'll be on Spotify um, shortly thereafter. Um, and I will eventually figure out YouTube. I want to get this episode published quickly. I learned GarageBand to you know, it just enough to be able to put like intro and outro music, which is maybe even playing right now. Uh, but uh, I don't know enough about iMovie to make it fancy yet. And I'd rather just get the content out there. I'll eventually learn it. I'll learn it. I'll learn it. But I got two kids. I got a job. I got Star Wars to watch. So it'll be slow goings on that. Anyways, 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 that was a long outro. Jeff, my man. Good episode. And uh, let me say this. May the force be with you. And may the force be with you. <laughs>